Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. Father, where, where are we going? We're, we're going to Mount Moriah. God has asked for a sacrifice and burnt offering, my son. Isaac joined his father Abraham on a journey that would take three days to get there. And when they arrived at the mountain, at Mount Moriah, they looked up and they could see the spot where God told Abraham to go for this particular moment on this particular day. He gave the wood that they were carrying over to Isaac and asked him to carry it up the mountain. And Abraham brought with him a knife and the fire needed for the actual offering. And as they were walking up the mountain, Isaac looked over to his father and he asked, Father, I see that we have everything we need to make an offering except the actual offering. Where is the lamb? Good eye, my son. God himself will provide the lamb. And Isaac accepted his father's response, no thought to it. And they continued traveling up the mountain all the way to the top. And when they reached the spot, Abraham took the supplies everything that was carried up by his son, and they built an altar right there for the Lord. And knowing, knowing what was requested of Abraham, what was requested of him, Abraham looks over to his sweet, innocent boy who just helped him build the altar on which he's about to lay on. He is staring into the face of the promised child, to the one, that, that, the one that was that Sarah, Abraham's wife, never thought would come. But here he is, he's in the flesh right now with them on top of the mountain. But the time right now, this moment, on top of this mountain, isn't about him. And it's not about his son. And if there's any other way, God will provide. He will. And then, and then and what I could only imagine as a moment, I mean, as a complete moment of surprise and confusion for Isaac, Abraham grabs his son, and then he begins to strap and tie him down on the altar. Father, what are you doing? What are you doing, Dad? And Abraham just keeps tying and strapping down his own son on the altar. Father, what are you doing? Why is this happening? And then Abraham grabs his knife. And then he does the unimaginable. For Isaac was the sacrifice. And so he gets his knife 
and he pulls it up into the air, and he begins to actually proceed with the offering. But before the knife can get down to the boy, before it can get down to Isaac, before any harm was laid upon him, a voice from the heavens shouted out, Abraham, do not lay a hand on the boy. Now, now, I know you fear the Lord because you were willing to sacrifice your son, your only begotten son. And Abraham quickly throws the knife to the side and he unites himself with Isaac in what I could only imagine in the greatest hug of dads and sons in history. And they embraced each other there. And then as they were hugging, Abraham lifts his face up and he could see stuck in the thush, in the, in the brushal area of the mountain was a ram. For it turns out, God did provide a sacrifice. And then the voice from heaven says, because you, Abraham, were willing to sacrifice your own son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars and in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Through your offspring, all nations on this earth will be blessed because you obeyed me here today. Let's pray. Father, we pray now as we open your word and your scripture that God, only your truth comes out. God, I pray that in my study and writing this, that if I say anything wrong, anything that isn't from you, that is not actual truth, God, then just take it off the page, rip it out of my tongue. That, Father, only you be preached, only your story, only your truth, your salvation, Lord, be preached from this spot. And so, God, I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today is a very special day in our core. Would you say so? Yes, I say it is. I, I, it's been for our core, for our church. We've actually, uh, you know, we just went through the process of seeing us adding, right in a minute, we're going to be adding three new soldiers and two new junior soldiers. And maybe some of you have never really read the Soldier's Covenant before. And going through that, you may realize, my goodness, that's, that's quite the covenant. That's quite the covenant. And so I want to, today, if you allow, I want to look into a little bit about covenants. You see, here, first, I'm very proud of anyone in this room or online or joining us of making the decision to follow Jesus Christ. Nothing, that, that's it. That's the, that's the thing. That's the thing, is making a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And then today, we're going to be witnessing those who are choosing to join and serve in the ranks of the Salvation Army. And I want to say this now, that we can, the Salvation Army, can never have enough Jesus-filled, Jesus-led, Spirit-filled souls chasing after the desires of the Lord before chasing after the desires of the Army. That we can never have enough of those people carrying on, focusing on the heart of Christ. Because I believe with my whole heart that the army, all of us, the army, that we are at our best when we are chasing him before we're chasing ourselves. And I think that's when we are our best selves as an organization, without question. 
So what are then some of the ways that the army can ensure, at least to the best of our ability, how can we actually try to make sure that this is indeed the case when we are growing in number and wanting to keep him, Christ, the center focused in all that we do? Well, we do so by using a method that has been used through all scripture. A method called covenant living. You see, joining the ranks of the Salvation Army isn't the same as joining a gym membership or a reward program where you scan your phone and get points. That's not the same thing. See, every soldier and officer in the army enters into a covenant to make the salvation of others the first purpose of their life. To befriend those who have no friends. To feed the hungry. To help the poor. But even deeper than that, deeper than the actions that we display, is that it's a covenant of our own personal life. Lifestyle choices that we, you and I, those in uniform, have willfully entered into. And then lastly, yes, even the spiritual commitment to our theology and to our understanding of who God is, is written all over the covenant. So every soldier and officer are men and women who are in covenant living. So even though the practice of covenant making really isn't that common today, outside of the marriage ceremony, which has stood the test of time, but there actually was a time on our earth that not only was it a common practice to go into covenant with someone, and it was very common to do it person to person. See, today we think of a covenant as a spirit, and it is a spiritual thing, but we think of it as a relationship between us and between God. But there was a time on this earth that covenant relationship was between man and man. It was two parties agreeing to go into oneness with each other. And in fact, the practice of covenant making dates back to before the time of Abraham. Before Abraham. And it was an extremely common practice that it, we, believe it or not, throughout the entire scriptures of the old and new, we witness and see covenants being made even before our Western eyes and modern day eyes can't catch it. Because we didn't, we, it's, it's not familiar territory to us. And so the author never wrote down, these two are about to go in covenant. But it's happening, everything that I'm about to explain is in the scripture, and the Eastern eyes of that time would have read that and said, oh yeah, these guys are going into covenant. I know what's happening now. And so here, we would see covenants being made for property exchanges, for arranging marriages, and even when two families agreed that they're going to go into one with each other for protection. Or I'm going to protect you, you're going to protect me, and this is how we're going to do it. We're going to make a covenant with one another. And so here, at this particular time especially, it was an unbreakable agreement, this covenant. It was unbreakable with no changing or going back. It was like, well, you know, I, I believed it then, but I'm going to have to take it back. So that, that didn't happen in the scriptures. 
Now, the most binding covenant, there were several different types of covenants, but the most binding and the one that perhaps we, maybe we didn't realize it, but the one that we would know the most is actually called the blood covenant. The blood covenant. Now, when this was used, when the blood covenant was used between two parties, and I'm not talking about a spirit, I'm talking between two men, when this covenant was used, it meant that whatever the subject matter, whatever the reasoning was, it was serious of the highest regard on this earth. Otherwise, you wouldn't use that covenant. We're not going down that route. But when it got to that point where it was that serious, the two parties would enter into a blood covenant with one another. And this is how you would know if the one party wants to go into blood covenant with you is that when you had agreed upon time to meet, we're going to go into covenant, and we were going to meet here. And in fact, in the Middle Eastern tradition, is that covenants could not be made alone. You had to have a crowd of witnesses with you. So there had to be a crowd of witness, and there had to be the two parties. And if one of the two parties brought with them a heifer, a female cow, to the meeting, that meant... It was serious business. And so when that heifer showed up, the other party went, oh, it's one of those. We're really going into this. And so here it is, is that this young female cow would be present among them, is that a blood covenant was about to take place. In fact, According to this old tradition, there were actually 10 steps that had to take place in order for the covenant to be binding. 10 different things that had to take place. And so here, before a witnessing crowd, the two parties would gather, they would have the, the cow with them, and then here, the very first step, the very first thing that had to take place between the two parties was they would exchange their robes. Their robes were given to one another. They would take their cloak off and give it to the other person, and they would do the same to you. And this was a complete, this was saying that my identity is now your identity. Here, when we're in the markets, when people say, hey, isn't that, isn't that Paul's cloak? And turn around and see my face. Then, then no, he's in covenant with someone. That now their identities have been, have been joined together. And then the next step after this, when they were gathering to me, was the exchange of belts. So after they took each other's cloak, they would take off their belts. And they would then give it to the next party. This is yours now. And they would, and they would give them their belts. And what that symbolized was that all of my strength. Because you see, they carried on their belts were all their tools, the things that they needed. And so they gave that over to say, all of my strengths, all of my assets, everything that's mine, I'm giving it to you now. You're now a part of me, and I'm giving it to you. And they would do the same and return the... And so whatever was theirs is now mine, and whatever mine was now theirs. And so after the belt was exchanged, the next step, the third step, was the exchange of weapons. So they would actually go and have a weapon for the ceremony, and they would present that to whoever they're going into covenant with. And what that symbolized, what that meant, was that whoever your enemies are, they're my enemies now. We're one. We're one. And so you would hand them a weapon, and they would hand you a weapon. And whoever their enemies were are yours now, because you're one. 
And after the trading of weapons took place, the fourth step was the sacrifice of the, heifer, of the cow. And that would usually be done by cutting it in two right down the middle. And they would split it open. And then, right here, in fact, this is why it's called a blood covenant, is for this very step. Because the next step, the fifth step, was called the walk of death. And here, this is where both parties would go and step inside the cow. Inside. And they would be staring face to face with each other inside the cow. Surrounded by its blood. And staring face to face, they would walk around in a figure eight motion like this. Face to face inside the cow. And this was called the walk of death. That I'm here to the end. We're one to the end. There's no taking this back. And after this, the sixth step was the mark on the body. And so while they were still standing in the cow, they each would take a sharp object and they would cut each other or themselves right here just on the wrist, just a tap. They would cut right here just enough to where it was bleeding. And then staring at each other, they would hold their hands up like this. And the other person would do the same and they would be bleeding and they would do this together, combined. And that symbolized that my blood runs in your veins now. And your blood runs in mine. We're together. We're in covenant with one another. In fact, what's interesting is believed that the modern day wave hey, comes from this section of the covenant ceremony. Why? Because then they used to actually, from that moment, they would wave so they could show that they are in covenant. They would see the scar, and that said that I'm in covenant with someone. I'm, with, I'm at one with someone. And they would show the scar. And then they would move on to the next step, the seventh step, which was the pronouncement of blessings and curses. Here, the two parties would still be face to face and they would say words of blessing to their new partner, to their new covenant partner. They will bless their family. They will bless their livestock. They will bless their property. They will bless everything as long as you keep the covenant. And then they would say, if you break the covenant, I curse those things. And they would say that to one another inside this cow. The pronouncement of blessings and curses. The eighth step was the covenant meal. They would bring with them just a little something to eat. Here at this, at the, and, they, and right there before the crowd, they would just break bread and have a meal together. But what is interesting is that as they tore from their meal, from their bread, is that they would not feed themselves first. They would take the bread and they would feed each other. And they would eat from the other person's hand. That this is, this is my body. We are now at one with each other. Does this sound familiar to anybody? 
This is where that part of the wedding ceremony comes from, as in the blood covenant, is that they would feed each other in the ceremony. And after they would take a few bites, then they would go and eat the rest of the meal to themselves. And then there's the ninth step. The ninth step was called the exchanging of names. Each party would take the name of the other person that they went into covenant with. They would take it and join it with their name. Usually what they would do is take their family name, their surname, and they would become their middle name. So if I was going into covenant relationship with the Rollins here, I would then be Paul Roland Ryerson. And it would forever be that way so that when you said my name, the world knew I was in covenant with this person. That my identity, my everything, we are one now. That we exchanged our names. And then it came down to the final step. And I would actually argue the hardest step. Because the final step of a blood covenant, which is why when you see them bringing a cow to the meeting, you go, am I really going to do this? Is that each party would exchange their oldest male child to officially seal the covenant. They would give their oldest son to the next party and they would give their oldest son to you. And this was not temporary. It was permanent. That that child would move in with that family, eat at their table, be raised by that family. That that child was now belonging to them. And this right here, was the final step to ensure that you are actually serious about this covenant. And then after the ceremony was done, they would plant a tree, they would sprinkle it with the leftover blood and watch it grow as a reminder of what took place on this day. So why did I just sit here and go through the blood covenant? I rest assured we are not bringing a cow in. I promise. But I share it with you because we see it in both the Old and New Testament quite often, over and over again. You see, we see it. We see it in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 15 when God decides that he's going to go into covenant with Abraham, that he's going to use this blood covenant as a way to finalize and seal that this is how serious I am with you, Abram. And so here, God decides to go into covenant, and we see each of the steps play out in Scripture. That right now, we see that God wants to go into So he says, Abram, go and fetch a heifer. And in Genesis 15, we watch him go do that. He grabs the heifer and brings it back, and Abram cuts it into two halves. And then the two of them begin the covenant ceremony. You see, God gave Abram in 15, 16, and 17 his identity, his exchange of robes. God then gives Abram his strength, which is the exchange of belts. Then Abram's enemies becomes God's enemies, the exchange of 
of belts, or the exchange of belt and weapons. The sacrifice of the actual heifer itself was through Abraham when he covered himself in its blood before the Lord. And then we see this, that, that God is saying to Abram, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands, the mark of the body. God declaring that Abram's descendants will be as numerous as the stars, the pronouncement of blessings. And then, perhaps, the part of the story that all of us in this room know most well. We read it just a moment ago, in fact. The part of the exchange of names. You see, God took two letters from his Hebrew name, Yahweh, and he gave them to Abram on that day. Translated into English, he gave him the A and the H from Yahweh, changing his name forever from Abram to Abraham. That when anyone on this earth says the name Abraham, that person is in covenant with Yahweh. And in exchange, God will take on the name of Abraham. From this moment forward, in Scripture, we see that God will now refer to himself as the God of Abraham. God took on the name of the one that he was in covenant with. And so now it's the final seal. You see, that's only nine steps. The final seal of the covenant took place on top of Mount Moriah. The exchange of the firstborn son. You see, it is very easy to look at that story and to think what an awful situation to put Abraham in. Why would God ask Abraham to sacrifice his only son, his promised son on top of that? But you see, the way that I actually read this story, reading it through the covenant process and ceremony, is that I read that Abraham wasn't surprised by the request. I think he knew that it was the final step to seal the covenant. And in faith, and that's what's the important part, is that in faith, Abraham did not hesitate to sacrifice his son because, because of everything that has taken place up to this moment. You see, God had already promised Isaac to him and to Sarah. God had already promised that his descendants will be as numerous as the stars. And I believe, after considerable research and looking into this scripture, is that I believe that Abraham fully believed without question that the promises that God gave him would be fulfilled through his son Isaac. And Hebrews, when we read Hebrews, when that scripture is open, it says that Abraham had already sacrificed Isaac in his heart on three days before the journey started, it says. 
that when they started the journey to go to Mount Moriah, Abraham had already sacrificed his son. So that when they arrived at the top of the mountain, it will be three days later. And however, Abraham, through faith, believed that what he was going to witness on top of that mountain was not an execution, was not a sacrifice. He was full-heartedly, and I truly believe this, is that he believed he was going to see a resurrection on top of that mountain. That because here, when we translate the name Yahweh into English, it translates to the covenant-keeping God. And so when Abram, when they started that journey, Isaac was already dead spiritually to him. But he knew that when he arrived, he was going to see the resurrection of his son. Because God is the covenant-keeping God. And then what we see when we read in Scripture is that on the third day, his son was resurrected. Life was given back to Isaac when the voice said from the heavens, Stop. And a ram was provided. However, there is still, technically, one matter left to attend. You see, Abraham had gone to the top of the mountain to give God his son, which he did. He was fulfilling that last and final step to the covenant. And on that day, on top of Mount Moriah, we see God fulfilling his. For that moment, God has selected the bloodline that his son will be born in. Sealing the covenant and the final step, the exchange of the firstborn son. Abraham, through your bloodline, all nations will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Now, we're not bringing out any cows today. But what we are going to see is a covenant. And what I don't want is that we say, well, that, that was back then. Covenants aren't relevant anymore. And I'm quite honest, glad that we could go into covenant with our God because of the blood covenant made through Jesus Christ. And I don't want to dismiss or water down the importance of covenant living because I'm going to tell you that it is real. It honors God still to this day. It builds character. You become one with him in the process. His strength becomes your strength in covenants. Covenants, I'm going to tell you now, that covenants are not something to be afraid of, but an expected step in our spiritual maturity of coming one with God. And I'm not referring to the army covenant. I'm talking of the covenant that we go into relationship with Jesus Christ. 
that we're not afraid of that. We embrace that. For he had given his blood for you and me. And so this morning, we're going to see a covenant a covenant living relationship made through our soldiers. And so I'm going to invite them to come up, to take their covenant, and to go to the altars. I will also invite their families to join them at their altar, to pray with them, maybe to answer any questions or anything at all, but to come and spend some time in prayer. And once you're ready, we'll sign your covenant and we'll come back to the table. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.